The government's announcement of a merger of TVNZ and Radio New Zealand is expected to come into effect by July next year, but many questions remain unanswered. In fact, the new media mega-entity doesn't even have a name. Today on Taxpayer Talk, we are joined by National Party Broadcasting Spokesperson Melissa Lee. Thanks for joining us, Melissa. Thank you for having me on. I guess the first question about this merger is what exactly is the problem that the government is trying to solve? Or alternatively, where did this idea come from in the first place? Well, that is exactly my question. And that is what I've been saying. It's a solution of searching for a problem and a very expensive one at that. So Chris Farfoy has said that the new merged public media entity will showcase New Zealand voices and stories. Is, is that the rationale? Is it about changing the kind of content or do you think that they believe this will be a better economic proposition or a saving for taxpayers? Well, I think any person who has any idea how to manage their own pocket money would know that merging the two entity would not be saving taxpayers any money because it is a very expensive proposition. It has already cost millions of dollars already up to now for the last four years of having business case, you know, entities, advisory groups and whatever you, and it is going to cost another $14.6 million to get the establishment board set up and whatever else um, the government will have to fork out to manage TVNZ in turning TVNZ into a more public uh, uh, media entity. I, I'm just not sure why they're doing it and how they actually envisage it to actually work, considering the fact that RNZ and TVNZ have completely different um, character, you know, characteristics. They have different cultures. You know, in effect, they're reducing plurality in the media sector. So I'm just not sure why they're doing it. I guess it's because it's something that they promised they're going to do. Mm. So they've spent... they haven't delivered on anything, so maybe they feel that they should deliver on this one. They've spent four years, you say, and millions and millions of dollars on this, and yet there are still massive unknowns here, aren't there? For example, initially when these two departments merge, they're meant to retain their own identities, but that could change in the future, is that correct? Well, that's what that's what the press releases actually say, and that's what the um um you know the minister has actually sort of said. But the decision is up to the um, establishment board to figure out how that's actually going to um, do it. But the thing that's really interesting is that TVNZ. I mean, okay, going back to RNZ, is a completely fully funded entity. You know, fully funded by the taxpayer. TVNZ, on the other hand, has been a commercial entity, fully commercial entity where they make their revenue from commercials that they actually advertising that they actually sell. And, you know, telling a commercial enterprise not to maximize their commerciality is like to um, um, suggest that, okay, don't sell advertising. You don't have to do anything that is required of you as a commercial entity. We will end up paying for it. So in effect, I guess that's what the minister is actually telling them. We will pick up the tab and pay through the nose the cost that it actually is required to run TVNZ from the taxpayer's money. Yes, yes, because they've, they've suggested that TVNZ will still continue to have advertising. 
and some people may assume that means that means TVNZ remains profitable. But that assumption really doesn't hold water. If you work on the basis that TVNZ is already doing the best it can to run a profit, and then the government comes in with some kind of set of broad directives around perhaps running local content or diverse content, what happens when it turns out that New Zealand TV viewers aren't actually interested in that content? What do the advertisers on TVNZ do with their money? Exactly. They will run, and the people who actually don't watch uh, don't want the kind of content that is actually on RNZ or TVNZ will surely actually turn off and go to another provider to actually get their entertainment or their news. And that's already happening. I mean, there is a huge, um, you know, um, market out there for alternative um, entertainment and news at the moment. And if people don't like it, if they don't feel that it caters to their needs they won't watch it if you i can give you just as example i mean yeah. different communities who speak different language other than english would not be watching tv and the news it's mm. not something that they actually feel that it, it, it caters to their needs so they will go and watch they on their own platforms uh, or any other platforms that is available that they feel that they caters caters to that community yeah, that, that leads into another question that I had. Um, you've raised the example of um, ethnic media and people who might speak, I guess, English as a second language. Um, and another group out there is people who are very suspicious of any media that receives government funding or is owned by the government or is a public broadcaster like RNZ. I know a lot of taxpayers' union supporters, they, they believe that RNZ is government propaganda. And rightly or wrongly, they hold that perception because RNZ is dependent on the government to exist. So what happens to New Zealanders' faith in the media and faith in TVNZ when TVNZ is folded into a government broadcaster? I think this is a significant issue. And, you know, more and more, there's been um, mistrust of the media. I mean, growing mistrust in the media. And I think that is that is a scary uh, thing that we need to actually seriously consider because when people don't trust the you know the media um, and they go for alternative news, I mean they might be looking at sites that provide them with fake news, thinking that it is in fact the news. So yeah, misinformation, disinformation, malinformation will actually exist and actually you know propagate, and I think that is a real big concern. This seems like such a, a huge unintended consequence of the government's current approach to media. Uh, firstly, their crackdown on misinformation, but also their promotion of taxpayer-funded public interest journalism. Uh, it's all well and good to push this media content down people's throats. But if people don't like that media content, or more relevantly, they don't trust it, then mm. where do they end up? Well, is it conspiracy sites? Do they go to unsourced blog sites? It seems to have the opposite effect to what the government is trying to achieve. Well, you know, if you if you want to be nice about it, I mean, you know, the government's actually trying to say, well, you know, um, we need to we need to get our media entity that is publicly funded to provide content uh, that represents New Zealand, that you know, um, showcases New Zealand, as as the, uh, as the minister actually says. But the thing is that you know, as Radio New Zealand, RNZ, and TVNZ over the years has actually experienced is that they've actually created their own set of audiences, and they're markedly different. And TVNZ's drive driver was actually audience numbers, and audience numbers often dictate what kind of uh, TV programs that is actually on on television. 
uh, has as someone who used to produce television content i mean i produced something on a sunday morning which wasn't actually commercial it was um, fully funded by new zealand on air it was content for the ethnic communities which would not have succeeded in the commercial marketplace and that is the reason why it was fully funded by new zealand on air and tvnz actually aired it because they saw value in it they didn't have to pay pay for it but the thing is, it's like, you know, when they don't have that mandate to deliver a pro, you know, um, like a, a profit for TVNZ and when the minister says, okay, you don't have to actually return, return uh, profit to the crown. I'm not so sure if uh, TVNZ will be motivated to actually compete well enough to be competitive in the commercial um, market of you know what they used to do and what they did very well i guess and you're left with a uh, an entity that um may end up um you know doing what rnz does just wait for the government to actually fund them and actually do what what is nearly required of them rather than being innovative and actually creating new content and i guess you talked to i mean i want to go back to what you actually said right at the beginning said this is an entity that has no name yeah well i think it was uh tom polis streck streck was i can't remember whether he actually, it was tom polis strecker one of the journalists actually called it an artichoke um yeah and I, I thought it was quite funny because you know you could call it anything you like because at the moment we have no idea what it is or how it's going to work yes which is incredible after four years and millions of dollars the, the other thought that crossed my mind about this, this merger, is it's happening in the wake of two very high profile Commerce Commission reviews into competition. Mm. So the government got the Commerce Commission to investigate the competition or the lack of competition in the supermarket sector. And before that, the Commerce Commission investigated competition in the fuel sector. So clearly the government is very concerned about there not being enough competition in these major sectors. How does that gel with what they're doing in the media where they are reducing competition by merging two of our largest broadcasters? I think it goes before, you know, before we talk about the merger or, or the amalgamation of the two entities, I think you also need to look at what was mandated by law uh, in terms of the Radio New Zealand Charter. It was legislated so it can be reviewed every, you know, every so many years. I think it was five years. And when the RNZ um, our charter came up for review at select committee, the government, the minister did everything he could to try and actually uh, not do it um, and uh, avoided it. And actually, you know, uh, Labour members tried to actually block me from actually requesting that we go ahead with it because it was required by law. And his excuse was the fact that, oh, yeah, we're creating this new media entity, so there's no need to actually sort of do the Radio New Zealand Charter review. But the thing is that the new entity wasn't going to be in place this year anyway. And I'm not so sure if it will be in place next year either, you know, considering the fact that they, you know, um, the slow tram to the airport uh, from Auckland CBD to Mount Roscoe was supposed to have been in place by 2021. The last time I look, it's 2022 and March. And so they are very, very slow at delivery uh, or not deliver at all. And uh, I'm not so sure if they can actually rush this through and actually hope that they're going to deliver a new entity by next year. Yes. So if, if the government's legislative program wasn't taken up, uh, well, with a number of reforms, including this one, if you were in the minister's position, what, were the, what are the kind of positive changes that you think could actually be achieved 
on a fairly short-term basis to improve the media environment in New Zealand? Well, I think if you look at the um, um, research commissioned by the Ministry of um, Culture, you know, Culture and um, Heritage, is that um, you know it was a superior report which actually looked at the plurality issue as well. And I mean, they certainly said in their report that there is no issue of plurality in New Zealand media, and so they they concluded that there was no reason to merge Radio New Zealand and TVNZ. I mean, if I was the minister, I certainly would not have wasted millions of dollars uh, having one, you know, working group after another trying to actually get to this point where we don't have any answers. I would have much rather spent those million dollars uh, in New Zealand on air so that we can create more New Zealand content. I mean, it would be much better spent than actually giving it to working groups that haven't delivered anything. Yeah, that's the interesting one. We haven't really talked about NZ on air, but that's that's the third pillar, I guess. You've got RNZ. Now the government wants to turn TVNZ into part of RNZ. But we already have New Zealand on air, which does fund New Zealand content across multiple outlets, including digital content. Mm -hmm. And with the, with the funding that they do, I think you have to say that they have actually been very fair. But the only issue that I have with New Zealand on air is the public interest journalism fund. I don't think journalism should be funded by government. I think you run the risk I, I think you run the risk of uh, people constantly saying they don't trust the media because of that very issue that there is government money in journalism. I think you need to refocus the public interest journalism fund into, um, I don't know, um, something that I really supported was the local democracy reporting, you know, where people um, in the regions and um, government entities that we don't ever get stories out there in the mainstream media, we could actually make sure that those stories actually do get out. And I think, you know, um, when you have, yeah, more mistrust, mistrust will actually happen, continue to happen if, if government actually fund journalism, news stories. I think news should not be funded by government. And we already have enough news, news outlets anyway. We certainly take the same view at the Taxpayers' Union and certain figures in the media, they get very up in arms and very defensive when you suggest anything uh, along the lines of government funding may undermine your independence. But the fact is, whether it does or does not undermine media independence, it certainly is undermining uh, the public perception of media independence. And when you have that problem, the damage is already done because that's... Uh, that's when we go back to what we said earlier about, you know, people resorting to conspiracy blogs. Yeah, I mean, you know, one of the things that, you know, that has always been something that, you know, I, I struggle with during the COVID pandemic is that, you know, I have a lot of ethnic communities whose businesses I actually rely on to tourist market. And many were inbound tour operators. And I've had grown men in my office, you know, with tears in their eyes, you know, because their businesses have actually been decimated. How many journos actually ended up talking to those people and talked about how difficult it was for those businesses? Not one. How many, how many, how many journos ended up going to those tourist towns which used to thrive because of tourism from all over the world coming to New Zealand, tourists coming from all over the world and actually looked at the decimation that COVID lockdowns have actually had in these, these small towns and tourist towns? 
I, I mean, you can't say that public interest journalism has actually, you know, paid for journalists to actually cover these important stories. The long form investigative journalism stories that we used to have in the past are gone because they cost so much money to actually produce. Having said that, PIJF should not be funding, you know, certain elements of the journalism sector, like the political reporting. Uh, apparently, it's okay for Māori and Pacifica political journalism to be funded by PIJF, but not the ethnic communities. I think that's just really daft. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a more positive note to uh, end this end this podcast on. Uh, <laughs> A while ago, you had a members bill, and I, I thought I might just get you to remind our listeners um, of this bill. And I understand it was around reporting on the performance of taxpayer-funded media. Yeah, exactly. I think I think yeah, you know, what we wanted to know was how many people viewed it, um, you know, how well they did. I think it's actually a good thing because I think as a as a former TV producer who used to produce a television show with New Zealand on air funding, we didn't actually have money to commission a research in terms of what the viewership was because it, those kind of um, uh, research cost a lot of money. And New Zealand on air did not provide the numbers. Or the only thing that they provided was the top so many, you know, percentage of programming. And I think it should be, you know, every taxpayer funded program should actually be reported on their performance. But the thing that, I mean, people mis misunderstand me when I actually put that um, bill in. They thought, oh, well, if it doesn't have commercial you know, success, then it should not be on air. Well, there are some programs that don't need to be on air. <laughs> yes, yes. And if no, if no one's watching it. Even if they were successful, even if they were really popular, I sort of doubt whether it is actually tasteful to actually have those on TV. But then that's my personal view. There are some programs that should be funded because it has purpose, whether it's actually dealing with ethnic communities requirements to be part of the New Zealand landscape. I think it's actually important to make them feel like they're part of New Zealand. And I'm very proud of the work that I did for Asia Down Under. Brilliant. Thank you so much for the chat, Melissa. You're welcome. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. Taxpayer Talk is made possible by the thousands of New Zealanders who financially support the Taxpayers Union. You can find all our podcast episodes at www.taxpayers.org.nz slash podcast or on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, you get the picture.